0: Hey, give it up for Benjamin as he comes shares this morning. Amen. Hi, everyone. Good morning.
1: Thanks for being here. Really appreciate it. Um, So, if you would turn on your Bibles or turn open your Bibles to the book of Proverbs, if you would. Um, We've been walking through this book, and I've really enjoyed the previous speakers thus far. What I find interesting is that the book of Proverbs is is really a very dense and uh, really rich book that could be divided anywhere from a couple dozen topics to over a hundred topics. And the wonderful thing about it is that it's so interwoven, webbed together, that things are going to... I would hope, overlap and repeat itself. I mean, God is a God who repeats himself, right? All right. So this wonderful book, Book of Proverbs, it it answers questions. Like, how does our choice of Jesus or idols affect whether or not we walk in wisdom in our daily lives? What are the consequences of marrying wisdom? What are the consequences of marrying folly? This sermon is, if any of you have read A Tale of Two Cities, it offers two realities. Will you marry your life with wisdom or will you commit adultery with foolishness? Sorry, Pastor Mark, I'm stealing that. Warren Weersby. He he had a quote, he said, Proverbs are pithy statements that summarize in a few choice words practical truths relating to some aspect of everyday life. He then quotes, he says, the Spanish novelist Cervantes defined a proverb as a short notice or sentence based on long experience. In life, we go through very difficult times. And in other parts of our life, we go through... Everyday life, the 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 what seems like kind of menial things. I found what's what's interesting when I was studying, uh, in this summer in preparation for school. I was reading something, and and it was talking about a survey of the Old Testament, and he said uh, it said well well Job talks about life gone wrong, how to absorb life's blows and deal with them, and how to reconcile with our relationship with God, pertaining to the book of Proverbs, it talks about what normal life looks like. How should we live in everyday circumstances? How do we develop character and integrity that raises raises up as a pleasing aroma to the Lord? How can we relate well to others? Proverbs deals with such practical questions. It examines the art of living well. And it addresses issues that affect everyone. This is a book for everyone. And yet, while Proverbs admits that wisdom is difficult to attain, again, it is available for everyone willing to learn from life. The, the Hebrew word for proverb is mashal, which probably means something like the phrase to rule or be like. And so, does that tell us anything? It, it, it's a comparison about life. That's what a proverb is. It's drawn from life. Proverbs attempts to teach us by showing what life is like. Not necessarily reality for all times and peoples, but it gives us a foretaste and Uh, a a summation of what's going on or what could be going on. Now, I really want to encourage you. Proverbs are helpful reminders, but they are not absolute promises. They are helpful reminders, but they are not absolute promises. Doing so leads to some pretty difficult problems. Like Proverbs 10.3, the Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but He thwarts the craving of the wicked. Certainly, Yahweh usually feeds the righteous, but some righteous have starved. Proverbs 10.4, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent man makes rich. Some people work really, really hard, but yet still are impoverished. Lazy people are often destitute. Again, Proverbs comments on how life unfolds in common everyday circumstances, whereas Job is the book that discusses abnormal circumstances. Why do I bring this up? I think Tom, last week, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Tom spoke last week, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't remember, yes? He gave a bit of an introduction. I think each of us are probably gonna sprinkle in a little bit of their own introduction to the book of Proverbs. But I wanted to give us a healthy healthy understanding of what wisdom literature looks like in the Bible. You have Job, what life could look like when it goes horribly wrong. You have Proverbs, what everyday life can look like. And lastly, you have Ecclesiastes, where you think everything's all vanity, because that's what it all is. There. So... Understanding that, I think that can help us to understand how wisdom can bring about greater understanding for our, for our lives as well as the people that are around us. Proverbs was recited in families. It was recited by uh, schools. It says that uh, often Proverbs, uh, uh, a teacher calls uh, the learner, my son, in Proverbs 1, 8, 2, 1, 3, 1, 5, 1, and uh, 4, 1. And in uh, chapters 31, it contains a mother's advice to her son. The royal court produced Proverbs, and Solomon spoke many Proverbs, 1 Kings four twenty nine through 34. Hezekiah collected some of Solomon's material in Proverbs 25, 1. We basically understand is that Solomon wrote this book, okay? It's difficult to nail down the structure of this book too, where you have chapters 1 through 9 stressing wisdom and avoiding foolishness but then it kind of comes across as just one liner after one liner later on. But I think, again, my, my mind works in such a way when I can have it organized in subheadings, that's what makes the most sense in my mind. I think one could find that in Proverbs 1.1, 1, 1, 10.1, 22.17, 25.1, chapter 30 verse 1, and 31 verse 1 are all subheadings of the book. Each announcement is followed by an exhortation. But the one thing that is, that each section has as its goal is to help the reader reach closer to wisdom. Proverbs teaches us how to live. It seeks to convey a mindset, a worldview that guides its readers. Knowledgeable persons must become disciplined and skilled enough to act consistently. When this goal has been reached, the person will be wise. This individual will have learned how to live. Today, our exploration dies into the differences and the dichotomy between foolishness and wisdom. How does the book describe foolishness? How does the book of Proverbs describe wisdom or wise person? Wisdom in the Old Testament describes the practical skills associated with living a successful life. They range from the ability to create highly skilled works to the intellectual capability required and in the bible wisdom is most often associated with trust in and fear of god deuteronomy 4 6 proverbs 1 7 you remember actually the first time i actually gave a sermon up here was about the fear of the lord a fool in proverbs is a person who lacks wisdom He's a person who does not delight in understanding. He is unable to see life from God's perspective and refuses the counsel of true friends. Something that I think is relevant is that wisdom is personified specifically as a woman, identifying the young to her banquet, whereas folly or foolishness is also perceived as a woman, but in striking contrast. Remember what I said earlier this is about a tale of two cities foolishness wisdom will you marry wisdom or commit adultery with foolishness the woman uh, this is proverbs 9:13 through 18 the woman folly is loud she is seductive and knows nothing she sits at the door of her house she takes a seat on the highest place of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Lady Wisdom does the same thing. I will recount that later on, but I think we must remember that the lady Folly is a counterfeit which attempts to copy and pervert everything wisdom does. Folly's house is a temple because it is the highest point of the city. This is how we know that Folly stands for idolatry. Turning from wisdom was characterized as unfaithfulness to God. Chapter one verse thirty two. One is faithful to God when one excuse me when one is unfaithful to God, one is whoring after idols. That's exactly what's happening here. If there's one phrase that I could convey to you today, it is that idolatry is spiritual adultery. Let me say that again. Idolatry is spiritual adultery. Woman folly is loud, seductive, ignorant, and lazy. She will produce this in her followers. She invites everyone to her party, verses 15, 16. She calls out to the same crowd as Lady Wisdom does, those who lack heart. She says to turn in at her house, come to her party. Her meal is illicit. Her water is stolen and her bread is to be eaten in secret. It may seem tasty, verse 17, but the way that seems right will not end well. If you take this along with Proverbs 5.15, it refers to water as, as actually sexual immorality, sexual intimacy. It seems to be an invitation to an affair. It's not offering just food and drink. She's offering herself as food or drink. She's offering an illicit relationship that will lead to apostasy and to walking away from God. Solomon knows that sexual sin leads to abandoning God. If you remember from your history, Solomon had over 700 wives and 300 concubines, mostly from foreign nations. In most cases, they ended up bringing their idols and worshiping them. What a travesty this was when Solomon, who we know pretty much wrote the entirety of the book of Proverbs, was advocating for wisdom, was known for wisdom, but yet found foolishness towards the end of his life. It says in 1 Kings 11, 1 through 8, Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. When Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went over Asherah, the goddess of the Sidonians, after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. And Solomon built a high place for Shemesh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites on the mountain east of Jerusalem, and so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrificed to their gods. I read this and I, I was broken because you know if it almost feels like Solomon. If 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 only you had the letter that was addressed to the Ephesians. Don't forget your first love. Don't forget the God who installed you in this position that you're in, who did many mighty things for your father. We see that Lady Folly, she seduces her victims by giving them half-truths. This is an affair, yes, that will bring temporary pleasure, but she does not reveal the death that awaits them. That's what foolishness is. Foolishness is not seeing the connection between your actions and your consequences. Like a cow walking into a slaughterhouse, you don't know that you're about to become filet mignon. Her guests do not realize that accepting her invitation is accepting an invitation to their own funeral. It says they go into the grave, verse 18, the depths of Sheol. It may be, excuse me, there may be destruction now like public shame, uh, loss of family, loss of money, but all of that is simply a foretaste of what's to come. It's hell. I want to decide that we understand folly as something that is destructive. It is idolatry, it is chasing after something that is unholy and unfaithful to God. There are things in, in life that we can do that seem foolish. Have you ever said or spoken anything you shouldn't have to someone, something you shouldn't have done or told them? try to say that 10 times fast and it always screws up. (laughs) I've definitely said foolish things. And I've done things that are foolish. What's worse is you can't really go back. Yes, you can get forgiveness from God and from that person, but you can't take back what you say. You can't take back what you do sometimes. You have to live with the consequences. When I was working several years ago, I made a really stupid and hurtful comment to a fellow coworker. It hurt their feelings. They were chiding the way I dressed, and I escalated it to where it could have really caused me a lot of trouble. What I did was foolish, and it wasn't wise. I could have probably been impacted in my job, for my conduct, had it not been for my coworker, who was much more mature than I was at the time. Why do I bring this up? Foolishness is not a quality unique to the unbeliever. It can happen to a believer. Are we, do we place things in our lives that is foolishness? Are we placing in our lives anything that could become an idol, that is an idol? What does the Lord tell us to do? What does it say in his word? What does James, more specifically, say about wisdom? Says in James 1.5, "'If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God, "'who gives generously to all without reproach, "'and it will be given to him.'" Given him. Well, how does God use wisdom? Well, God used wisdom to sustain and create the universe, the world. Proverbs 8, 24 through 31. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When, I was, when there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman. I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighting in the children of men. Wisdom knows how to instruct kings and peasants alike, is humble and willing to accept the simplest person as a pupil. Only the self destructive spurn to help it's rich and complicated sometimes and seeing we see a, a heightening of wisdom's description wisdom is presented here not just as solomon's wisdom but as yahweh's wisdom as god's wisdom wisdom is the only begotten child of god verse 22 we see that this description of wisdom can no longer be seen just as a, a poetic device. The description is too lofty and it is it's, it sounds too much like someone. Who is that person? It's Jesus. If we could have the worship team come up. In Revelations 3.14, it says, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. It calls Jesus, literally in Greek, the originator of God's creation, or some translations render it as ruler of God's creation. This doesn't mean that Jesus was created. It means that he was supreme over all creation. Wisdom existed before the creation and is superior to creation. Wisdom knows the created order because wisdom was there. Wisdom seems to have assisted in creating. Before humanity was created from the dust, wisdom was there. The mention of the first soil reveals the fragility of humanity. If humanity lives contrary to the wise design of the creation, we will return to our prior state from dust to dust. Wisdom knows the order of things and can share that order with humanity because wisdom assisted Yahweh in creating the world. Wisdom builds the creation. Wisdom helped build the tabernacle, Exodus 31, the temple, 1 Kings 7, which are two patterns after creation. The wise Messiah will rebuild the cosmos Isaiah 11. Wisdom builds her house in Proverbs 9, as we will see. And created the world in the beginning. Jesus upholds the world now, Hebrews 1. And Jesus will make all things new at the end. So no one, excuse me. So so one must know Him in order to perceive and live according to the pattern of the world, because He made the world. He knows how it works. Wisdom says, in effect, I delight in God, his world, and his humanity. Wisdom is the mediator in the relationships of all of those three, between man and God, between man and man, and between man and the world. Wisdom ordered these three relationships as it was in Eden. So you must know wisdom. Wisdom. We must all know Jesus in order to live in harmony with God, with other people, and with the world around you, amen? This is a design in the way that the world works, and this order can be observed by anyone who is looking. If you try to live against the grain of this order, it will injure you. Adultery will cause you to lose much of what you have. The famous golfer, Tiger Woods, can attest to this. Unchecked greed will lead to too much debt. The American government can attest to this all too well. Laziness will lead to the inability to hold down a job and failure to provide for your family. There is a way that the world works. You See, it isn't just that sin is wrong, although it is. Sin is also destructive. It is a cancer to one's life. Our big problem is that even if we can observe how things work, we often fail to apply the knowledge we gain. Quite simply put, we need Jesus. He is the one who can give us harmony with God, which will lead to harmony in our relationships and safe passage through daily life in the world around us that leads us to the final reason to marry wisdom. Some of you may be familiar with this old Christmas carol. O come, O come, Emmanuel, it speaks of Jesus. It reads, O come thou wisdom from on high and order all things far and nigh to us the path of knowledge show and cause us in her ways to grow to go. Christianity has confessed for a long time in song what Proverbs 8 has taught us. The wisdom of God who ordered the cosmos can teach us the right path. Also took on flesh in Bethlehem. If you want to be wise in daily life, if you want to know how the world works, then you must be in relationship with him, with Jesus. If you're not walking in wisdom, it reveals an issue with Jesus in your life. Confess that to him, turn from it, and let him reorder your life like he reordered and ordered the universe. I say this on the Sunday before we enter the Christmas season. We must all remember to make wise choices every day in our lives. It starts with being slow to speak and quick to listen. It continues with reflecting upon these proverbs and emulating them into our lives. And it culminates in an ever-present reality that we need Jesus for this to come to fruition. I wanna prescribe one quote to you before we pray. It is better to get wisdom than gold. Gold is another's, wisdom is our own. Gold is for the body and time, wisdom for the soul and eternity. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Let's pray. Father, we ask for wisdom. We ask that you remove any foolishness, any idolatry in our lives. We ask because you are a God who gives generously to all without reproach. We ask because you are the one who orders the universe, who also orders our lives. Lord. We lift you up. We honor and praise your name. Thank you for giving us life. Thank you for giving us wisdom. Thank you, Lord, for providing in us a path to be right with you. Thank you for your word, and thank you for your son. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thank you, Benjamin. So it's time to stop fooling around with foolishness and wind up with wisdom, amen? Stand with me as we close this morning. Speaking of wisdom, you'd be foolish not to try Vicky's cookies out in the, uh, the cafe area. Uh, they, are, they are wonderful. In all seriousness, I really believe that God is trying to ingrain in us that it's foolish to think that anything good can come from us, and that we always have to be at his seat of mercy, calling out for wisdom. God, I need wisdom for this decision. How I many got a week coming up that you need wisdom-filled week? You got decisions, you got things coming up, you got stuff that's hitting you. Even as you're sitting here, you're just like, boy, what's gonna happen here, what's gonna happen there? It's foolish to think that we can try to work out anything. It's wisdom just to call on the name of Jesus. It sounds so simple because we feel like we need to have some stake in the game here. We need to have some you know, skin in the game but this is the only thing that doesn't matter. We we don't have to, we just need to be available to him. So just put your hands out in receiving position. God, we give you our foolishness, our foolish thinking. We don't wanna fool around with it anymore. We don't wanna flirt with it anymore. We wanna marry wisdom, be committed to wisdom. Like Benjamin said in your word, Lord, they that lack wisdom, just ask you. So we ask you right now for the week coming up, for the the things that our job and our family and our home and our, our relationships, we ask for wisdom. Just let the pressure of all that just melt away in his lordship. You appreciate you, God. Just recommit that, that spot in your heart right now. Turn over those areas. and Lord, as we go this morning and go about our schedule, we just constantly just say that whatever you want to say to us, whatever changes you want to make in our agenda and our schedule, We ask that we would walk in wisdom. I thank you for this group of folks. I thank you for their endurance. Thank you for their love for you. I'm thankful to be on this journey with them. In Jesus' name, amen. I do wanna say real quick that we got some exciting things coming up here in the new year. Uh, We're gonna be doing, uh, we're gonna start to promote the heck out of this. You've heard me say this phrase, moving forward together, and we haven't really walked in that fully, and so we've been meeting as leadership. And so at the end of uh, January, we're lending on a date. We're gonna have a meal together, and we're actually gonna do that. We're gonna move forward together. We're gonna to share everything from finances to vision to any questions that you might have, any thoughts of, hey, what what's up with this, or you know, what happened to that. You know, we might have some answers, we might have more questions, but we're gonna get into thing together. We have some vision that we want to share with you about what's gonna be happening that we feel the Lord might be taking us into to the new year but we need to do it together, and we want everybody on board. It's not an annual business meeting. It's nothing to do with any of the, that, even though we're going to be discussing some of that stuff. If you want to know how this church works and what's going on, we're going to have a meal together. We're going to have a sign-up so we know how many to feed. Uh, I haven't talked to Quentin yet, but he's going to be doing the meal. and. Um, so that should just bring you out to to, to to begin with. But that's going to be in January. Moving forward together, I am so excited for what this new year is going to bring and so excited to be celebrating this holiday season with you. We love you all. Have a wonderful day. And check out those cookies. Vicki, thank you for those.